Welcome to Aunt Blanche's Story Corner. I'm so glad you've chosen to visit me again in my special reading place as we continue our exciting adventure in the land of Oz. This will be the sixth episode in the story of The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. As we again join our friends, Dorothy, Toto, the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, and the Cowardly Lion, we find that they have finally arrived in the Emerald City. Today we'll find out what happens when they meet the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Now, let's get on with our story. So, get your ears ready to listen carefully and your imagination set to go so you can see what happens to our friends in Chapter 11, The Wonderful Emerald City in The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Even with eyes protected by the green spectacles, Dorothy and her friends were at first dazzled by the brilliancy of the wonderful city. The streets were lined with beautiful houses, all built of green marble and studded everywhere with sparkling emeralds. They walked over the pavement of the same green marble, and where the blocks were joined together were rows of emeralds set closely and glittering in the brightness of the sun. The window panes were of green glass. Even the sky above the city had a green tint, and the rays of the sun were green. There were many people, men, women, and children, walking about, and these were all dressed in green clothes and had greenish skins. They looked at Dorothy and her strangely assorted company with wondering eyes, and the children all ran away and hid behind their mothers when they saw the lion. But no one spoke to them. Many shops stood in the street, and Dorothy saw that everything in them was green. Green candy and green popcorn were offered for sale, as well as green shoes, green hats, and green clothes of all sorts. At one place, a man was selling green lemonade, and when the children bought it, Dorothy could see that they paid for it with green pennies. There seemed to be no horses or animals of any kind. The men carried things around in little green carts, which they pushed before them. Everyone seemed happy and contented and prosperous. The guardian of the gates led them through the streets until they came to a big building, exactly in the middle of the city, which was the Palace of Oz, the Great Wizard. There was a soldier before the door, dressed in a green uniform and wearing a long green beard. Here are strangers, said the guardian of the gates to him, and they demand to see the great Oz. Step inside, answered the soldier, and I will carry your message to him. So they passed through the palace gates and were led into a big room with a green carpet and lovely green furniture set with emeralds. The soldier made them all wipe their feet on a green mat before entering this room. And when they were seated, he said politely, Please make yourselves comfortable while I go to the door of the throne room and tell Oz you are here. They had to wait a long time before the soldier returned. Then, at last, he came back. Dorothy asked, Have you seen Oz? 
Oh, no, returned the soldier. I have never seen him, but I spoke to him as he sat behind his screen, and I gave him your message. He said he will grant you an audience, so if you desire. But each one of you must enter his presence alone, and he will admit but one each day. Therefore, as you must remain in the palace for several days, I will show you to rooms where you may rest in comfort after your journey. Oh, thank you, replied the girl. That is very kind of Oz. The soldier now blew upon a green whistle, and at once a young girl dressed in a pretty green silk gown entered the room. She had lovely green hair and green eyes, and she bowed low before Dorothy as she said, Follow me, and I will show you to your room. So Dorothy said goodbye to all her friends except Toto, and taking the dog in her arms, followed the green girl through seven passages and up three flights of stairs until they came to a room at the front of the palace. It was the sweetest little room in the world, with a soft, comfortable bed that had sheets of green silk and a green velvet counterpane. There was a tiny fountain in the middle of the room that shot a spray of green perfume into the air to fall back into a beautifully carved green marble basin. Beautiful green flowers stood in the windows, and there was a shelf with a row of little green books. When Dorothy had time to open these books, she found them full of queer green pictures that made her laugh. They were so funny. In a wardrobe, there were many green dresses made of silk and satin and velvet, and all of them fitted Dorothy exactly. Make yourself perfectly at home, said the green girl, and if you wish for anything, ring the bell. Oz will send for you in the morning. She left Dorothy alone and went back to the others. These she also led to rooms, and each one of them found himself lodged in a very pleasant part of the palace. Of course, this politeness was wasted on the scarecrow, for he found himself alone in his room. He stood stupidly in one spot, just within the doorway, to wait till morning. It would not rest him to lie down, and he could not close his eyes, so he remained all night staring at a little spider which was weaving its web in a corner of the room, just as if it were not one of the most wonderful rooms in the world. The tin woodman lay down on his bed from force of habit, for he remembered when he was made of flesh. But not being able to sleep, he passed the night moving his joints up and down to make sure they kept in good working order. The lion would have preferred a bed of dried leaves in the forest and didn't like being shut up in a room, but he had too much sense to let this worry him. So he sprang upon the bed and rolled himself up like a cat and purred himself to sleep in a minute. The next morning, after breakfast, the green maiden came to fetch Dorothy and she dressed her in one of the prettiest gowns made of green brocaded satin. Dorothy put on a green apron and tied a green ribbon around Toto's neck, and they started for the throne room of the great Oz. First they came to a great hall in which there were many ladies and gentlemen of the court, all dressed in rich costumes. 
These people had nothing to do but talk to each other, but they always came to wait outside the throne room every morning, although they were never permitted to see Oz. As Dorothy entered, they looked at her curiously, and one of them whispered, Are you really going to look upon the face of Oz the Terrible? Of course, answered the girl, if he will see me. Oh, he will see you, said the soldier who had taken her message to the wizard, although he does not like to have people ask to see him. Indeed, at first he was angry, and I said I should send you back where you came from. Then he asked me what you looked like, and when I mentioned your silver shoes, he was very much interested. At last I told him about the mark upon your forehead, and he decided he would admit you to his presence. Just then a bell rang, and the green girl said to Dorothy, That's the signal. You must go into the throne room alone. She opened the little door, and Dorothy walked boldly through and found herself in a wonderful place. It was a big, round room with a high, arched roof, and the walls and ceiling and floor were covered with large emeralds set closely together. In the center of the roof was a great light, as bright as the sun, which made the emeralds sparkle in a wonderful manner. But what interested Dorothy most was the big throne of green marble that stood in the middle of the room. It was shaped like a chair and sparkled with gems, as did everything else. In the center of the chair was an enormous head without a body to support it or any arms or legs, whatever. There was no hair upon this head, but it had eyes and nose and mouth and was much bigger than the head of the biggest giant. As Dorothy gazed upon this in wonder and fear, the eyes turned slowly and looked at her sharply and steadily. Then the mouth moved, and Dorothy heard a voice say, I am Oz, the great and terrible. Who are you, and why do you seek me? It was not such an awful voice as she expected to come from the big head, so she took courage and answered, I am Dorothy, the small and meek, I have come to you for help. The eyes looked at her thoroughly for a minute and then said the voice, Where did you get the silver shoes? I got them from the wicked witch of the east when my house fell on her and killed her, she replied. Where did you get the mark upon your forehead? continued the voice. That's where the good witch of the north kissed me when she bade me goodbye and sent me to you, said the girl. Again the eyes looked at her sharply, and they saw she was telling the truth. Then Oz asked, What do you wish me to do? Send me back to Kansas, where my Aunt Em and Uncle Henry are, she answered earnestly. I don't like your country, although it is so beautiful, and I'm sure Aunt Em will be dreadfully worried over my being away so long. The eyes winked three times, and then they turned up to the ceiling and down to the floor and rolled around so queerly 
that they seemed to see every part of the room. And at last they looked at Dorothy again. Why should I do this for you? asked Oz. Because you are strong and I am weak. Because you are a great wizard and I'm only a helpless little girl. But you were strong enough to kill the wicked witch of the east, said Oz. That just happened, returned Dorothy simply. I, I couldn't help it. Well, said the head, I will give you my answer. You have no right to expect me to send you back to Kansas unless you do something for me in return. In this country, everyone must pay for everything he gets. If you wish me to use my magic power to send you home again, you must do something for me first. Help me, and I will help you. What must I do? asked the girl. Kill the wicked witch of the West, answered Oz. But I can't exclaimed Dorothy, greatly surprised. You killed the wicked witch of the east, and you wear the silver shoes, which bear a powerful charm. There is now but one wicked witch left in all the land, and when you can tell me she is dead, I will send you back to Kansas, but not before. The little girl began to weep. She was so much disappointed and the eyes winked again and looked upon her anxiously, as if the great Oz felt that she could help him if she would. I never killed anything willingly, she sobbed, and even if I wanted to, how could I kill the wicked witch? If you, who are great and terrible, cannot kill her yourself, how do you expect me to do it? I do not know, said the head, but that is my answer. And until the wicked witch lies dead, you will not see your uncle and aunt again. Remember that the witch is wicked, tremendously wicked, and ought to be killed. Now, go, and do not ask to see me again until you have done your task. Sorrowfully, Dorothy left the throne room and went back where the lion and the scarecrow and the tin woodman were waiting to hear what Oz had said to her. There's no hope for me, she said sadly, for Oz will not send me home until I've killed the wicked witch of the West, and I can never do that. Her friends were sorry but could do nothing to help her. So she went to her own room and lay down on the bed and cried herself to sleep. The next morning, when the soldier with the green whiskers came to get the others who wanted an audience with the wizard, each of them was prepared to see the same giant head that Dorothy described as claiming to be the Oz, the Great and Terrible. However... This was not to be the case at all. Each saw something entirely different. The scarecrow saw a lovely lady. The tin woodman, a terrible beast 
with the head of a rhinoceros and five eyes in its face. And the cowardly lion was greeted by a ball of fire, also claiming to be Oz, the great and terrible. The one thing that was the same for each of our friends when they met Oz and asked for their individual wishes, a brain, a heart, courage, and travel back to Kansas, was that the image told each of them that their wish could only be granted if they killed the wicked witch of the West. What shall we do now? asked Dorothy sadly. There's only one thing we can do, returned the lion, and that is to go to the land of the Winkies and seek out the wicked witch and destroy her. But suppose we can't, said the girl. Then I shall never have courage, declared the lion, and I shall never have brains, added the scarecrow. And I shall never have a heart, spoke the tin woodman. And I shall never see Aunt Em and Uncle Henry, said Dorothy, beginning to cry. Be careful, cried the green girl. The tears will fall on your green silk gown and spot it. So Dorothy dried her eyes and said, I suppose we must try it, but I'm sure I don't want to kill anybody, even to see Aunt Em again. I will go with you, but I'm too much of a coward to kill the witch, said the lion. I will go too, declared the scarecrow, but I shall not be of much help to you. I'm such a fool. I haven't the heart to harm even a witch, remarked the tin woodman, but if you go, I certainly shall go with you. Therefore, it was decided to start upon their journey the next morning, and the woodman sharpened his axe on a green grindstone, and all of his joints were properly oiled. The scarecrow stuffed himself with fresh straw, and Dorothy put new paint on his eyes that he might see better. The green girl, who was very kind to them, filled Dorothy's basket with good things to eat and fastened a little bell around Toto's neck with a green ribbon. They went to bed quite early and slept soundly until daylight when they were awakened by the crowing of a green cock that lived in the backyard of the palace and the cackling of a hen that had a green egg. Chapter 12 the search for the wicked witch. The soldier with the green whiskers led them through the streets of the Emerald City until they reached the room where the guardian of the gates lived. This officer unlocked their spectacles to put them back in his great box, and then he politely opened the gate for our friends. Which road leads to the wicked witch of the West? asked Dorothy. There is no road answered the guardian to the gates. No one ever wishes to go that way. How then are we to find her? inquired the girl. That will be easy, replied the man, for when she knows you're in the country of the Winkies, she'll find you and make you all her slaves. 
Perhaps not, said the scarecrow, for we mean to destroy her. Oh, that's different, said the guardian of gates. No one has ever destroyed her before, so I naturally thought she would make slaves of you as she has all the rest. But take care, for she is wicked and fierce and may not allow you to destroy her. Keep to the west, where the sun sets, and you cannot fail to find her. They thanked him and bade him goodbye, and turned toward the west, walking over the field of soft grass dotted here and there with daisies and buttercups. Dorothy still wore the pretty silk dress she'd put on in the palace, but now, to her surprise, she found it was no longer green, but pure white. The ribbon around Toto's neck had also lost its color, and it was no longer green, but white, just as white as Dorothy's dress. The Emerald City was soon left far behind, and as they advanced, the ground became rougher and hillier, for there were no farms nor houses in this country of the West, and the ground was untilled. In the afternoon, the sun shone hot in their faces, for there were no trees to offer them shade so that before night Dorothy and Toto and the lion were tired and lay down upon the grass and fell asleep, with the woodman and the scarecrow keeping watch. Now the wicked witch of the West had but one eye, yet that was a powerful one, as powerful as a telescope, and could see everywhere. So, as she sat in the doorway of her castle, she happened to look around and saw Dorothy lying asleep with her friends all about her. They were a long distance off, but the Wicked Witch was so angry to find them in her country that she went over to her cupboard. And there in her cupboard was a golden cap with a circle of diamonds and rubies running around it. This golden cap had a charm. Whoever owned it could call three times upon the winged monkeys who could obey any order they were given. But no person could command these strange creatures more than three times. Twice already the wicked witch had used the charm of the cap. Once when she made the winkies her slaves and set herself to rule over their country. The winged monkeys had helped her do this. The second time was when she fought against the great Oz himself and had driven him out of the land of the West. The winged monkeys had also helped her doing this. Only once more could she use this golden cap, for which reason she did not like to do so until all of her other powers were exhausted. So the wicked witch took the golden cap from her cupboard and placed it upon her head. Then she stood upon her left foot and stood upon her right foot, and slowly the charm began to work. The sky was darkened, and a low rumbling sound was heard in the air. There was a rushing of many wings, a great chattering and laughing, and the sun came out of the dark sky to show the wicked witch surrounded by a crowd of monkeys, each with a pair of immense and powerful wings on his shoulders. One, much bigger than the others, seemed to be their leader. He flew close to the witch and said, 
You've called us for the third and last time. What do you command? Go to the strangers who are within my land and destroy them all except the lion, said the wicked witch. Bring that beast to me, for I have in mind to harness him like a horse and make him work. Your command shall be obeyed said the leader, and then, with a great deal of chattering and noise, the winged monkeys flew away to the place where Dorothy and her friends were walking. Some of the monkeys seized the tin woodman and carried him through the air until they were over a country thickly covered with sharp rocks. Here they dropped the poor woodman, who fell a great distance to the rocks, where he lay so battered and dented that he could neither move nor groan. Others of the monkeys caught the scarecrow and with their long fingers pulled all of the straw out of his clothes and head. They made his hat and boots and clothes into a small bundle and threw them into the top branches of a tall tree. The remaining monkeys threw pieces of stout rope around the lion and wound many coils about his body and head and legs until he was unable to bite or scratch or struggle in any way. Then they lifted him up and flew away with him to the witch's castle, where he was placed in a small yard with a high iron fence around it so that he could not escape. But Dorothy they did no harm to at all. She stood with Toto in her arms, watching the fate of her comrades and thinking it would soon be her turn. The leader of the winged monkeys flew up to her his long, hairy arms stretched out and his ugly face grinning terribly. But he saw the mark of the good witch's kiss upon her forehead and stopped short, motioning the others not to touch her. We dare not harm this little girl, he said to them, for she's protected by the power of good, and that is greater than the power of evil. All we can do is carry her to the castle of the wicked witch and leave her there. So carefully and gently, they lifted Dorothy in their arms and carried her swiftly through the air until they came to the castle, where they set her down upon the front doorstep. Then the leader said to the witch, We have obeyed you as far as we were able. The tin woodman and the scarecrow are destroyed, and the lion is tied up in your yard. The little girl we dare not harm, nor the dog she carries in her arms. Your power over our band is now ended and you will never see us again. Then all the winged monkeys, with much laughing and chattering and noise, flew into the air and were soon out of sight. The wicked witch was both surprised and worried when she saw the mark on Dorothy's forehead, for she knew well that neither the winged monkeys nor she herself dare hurt the girl in any way. She looked down at Dorothy's feet, and seeing the silver shoes, began to tremble with fear, for she knew what a powerful charm belonged to them. At first the witch was tempted to run away from Dorothy, but she happened to look into the child's eyes and saw how simple the soul behind them was, and that the little girl did not know the wonderful power of the silver shoes given to her. So the wicked witch laughed to herself and thought, I can still make her my slave, for she does not know how to use the power. Then she said to Dorothy harshly and severely, Come with me, 
and see that you mind everything I tell you, or if you do not, I will make an end of you, as I did of the tin woodman and the scarecrow. Dorothy followed her through many of the beautiful rooms in the castle until they came to the kitchen where the witch bade her clean the pots and kettles and sweep the floor and keep the fire fed with wood. Dorothy went to work meekly, with her mind made up to work as hard as she could, for she was glad the wicked witch had decided not to kill her. With Dorothy hard at work, the witch thought that she would go into the courtyard and harness the cowardly lion like a horse. It would amuse her, she was sure, to make him draw her chariot whenever she wished to go to drive. But as she opened the gate, the lion gave a loud roar and bounded at her so fiercely that the witch was afraid and ran out and shut the gate again. If I can't harness you, said the witch to the lion, speaking through the bars of the gate. I can starve you. You shall have nothing to eat until you do what I wish. <laughs> so, after that, she took no food to the imprisoned lion, but every day she came to the gate at noon and asked, Are you ready to be harnessed like a horse? And the lion would answer, No. If you come in this yard, I'll bite you. The reason the lion didn't have to do, as the wish wished, was that every night while the woman was asleep, Dorothy carried him food from the cupboard. After he'd eaten, he would lie down on his bed of straw, and Dorothy would lie beside him and put her head on his soft, shaggy mane while they talked of their troubles and tried to plan some way to escape but they could find no way to get out of the castle, for it was constantly guarded by the yellow winkies, who were the slaves of the wicked witch, and too afraid of her to do as she told them. Now the wicked witch had a great longing to have for herself the silver shoes which the girl always wore. If she could only get hold of the silver shoes, they would give her more power than all the other things she'd lost. She watched Dorothy carefully to see if she ever took the shoes off, thinking she might steal them. But the child was so proud of her pretty shoes that she never took them off except at night and when she took her bath. The witch was much too afraid of the dark to dare go into Dorothy's room at night to take the shoes, and her dread of water was far greater than her fear of the dark, so she never came near Dorothy when she was bathing. Indeed, the old witch never touched water, nor ever let water touch her in any way. But the wicked creature was very cunning, and she finally thought of a trick that would give her what she wanted. She placed a bar of iron in the middle of the kitchen floor and then by her magic arts made the iron invisible to human eyes so that when Dorothy walked across the floor she stumbled over the bar not being able to see it and fell at full length. She was not much hurt but in her fall one of the silver shoes came off and before she could reach it the witch had snatched it away and put it on her own skinny foot.
the wicked woman was greatly pleased with the success of her trick, for as long as she had one of the shoes, she owned half the power of the charm, and Dorothy could not use it against her, even had she known how to do so. The little girl, seeing she had lost one of her pretty shoes, grew angry and said to the witch, "'Give me back my shoe!' "'I will not!' retorted the witch, "'for it is now my shoe and not yours. "'You you are a wicked creature!' cried Dorothy. "'You have no right to take my shoe from me!' I shall just keep it the same, said the witch, laughing at her. And some day I shall get the other one from you, too. This made Dorothy very angry, and she picked up the bucket of water that stood near and dashed it over the witch, wetting her from head to foot. Instantly, the wicked woman gave a loud cry of fear, and then as Dorothy looked at her in wonder, the witch began to shrink and fall away. See what you have done, she screamed. In a minute, I shall melt away. I'm very sorry indeed, said Dorothy, who was truly frightened to see the witch actually melting away like brown sugar before her very eyes. "'Didn't you know water would be the end of me?' asked the witch in a wailing, despairing voice. Uh, "'Of course not,' answered Dorothy. "'How should I?' "'Well, in a few minutes I shall be all melted, and you will have a castle to yourself. "'I have been wicked in my day.' But I never thought a little girl like you would ever be able to melt me and end my wicked deeds. Look out! Here I go! With these words, the witch fell down in a brown, melted, shapeless mask and began to spread over the clean boards of the kitchen floor. Seeing that she had really melted away to nothing, Dorothy drew another bucket of water and threw it over the mess. She then swept it all out the door. After picking out the silver shoe, which was all that was left of the old woman, she cleaned and dried it with a cloth and put it on her foot again. Then, being at last free to do as she chose, she ran out the courtyard to tell the lion that the Wicked Witch of the West had come to an end and that they were no longer prisoners in a strange land. Well, now that the Wicked Witch of the West is dead, surely the wizard will be able to grant the wishes desired by our friends to give the Scarecrow a brain, the Tin Woodman a heart, Courage to the Cowardly Lion, and to send Dorothy and Toto back to their home in Kansas. I hope you'll join me when we find out if the wizard is as wonderful as he claims to be. Next time, we will find out in Aunt Blanche's Story Corner.